Before we jump into the episode, here's a quick disclaimer about our content. The Remote Real Estate Investor Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as investment advice. The views, opinions, and strategies of both the hosts and the guests are their own and should not be considered as guidance from Roofstock. Make sure to always run your own numbers, make your own independent decisions, and seek investment advice from licensed professionals. What's up, everybody? Michael Album here from the Remote Real Estate Investor. And today I'm joined by my co-host, Tom Schneider. And today, Tom and I are going to be talking about why is real estate investing referred to as a passive activity and the benefits, some of the benefits that it yields referred to as passive income. We're going to be talking about how passive investing in real estate actually is. So let's get into it. All right, Tom, share with me a quick update about what's going on in your world. A little portfolio update, if you would. Uh, so I mentioned before building a little uh, shed, a little office shed, bottom of the lot. It is coming mm-hmm. along. Uh, contractors are busy as all get up, but I have secured, I'm in line, I'm in the queue. I'm the next person in the queue for my concrete guy. And then for the contractor, uh, actually gonna putting it together next in queue there. So this is uh, a symphony of uh, development. This is my first development, ground up development project. And this is in the corner of my lot. Uh, but but honestly, it's a good, it's a good way to practice. Totally. Like totally. It's, I'm, you know, I'm my own, whatever project manager, whatever GM on the site. And uh, it's timing from the materials getting ready from the company that's prefabricating the shell, the shed, to the site team that's doing the actual like concrete stuff. And you know, at first in doing this project, I'm like, yeah, this isn't really real estate investing. But the more that I do it, the more it's like, oh, these are totally muscles that, you know, yeah, some, some land up development stuff. So anyways, it's it's going along well. That is kind of the extent of my activities as it relates to investing <laughs> right now is uh, some value add stuff at my primary residence. That's awesome. And I wish I had done something like that before I started my total... Uh... Uh, redevelopment projects. I had a goose egg experience doing that kind of stuff. So that's that's really cool. cool. Yeah, got, getting it somewhere. Yeah, and yourself, Michael? Uh, so I'm in the midst of a 1031 exchange. I'm selling a value add property that I added some value to out in the Midwest, and I'm buying a couple short term rentals uh, via that 1031 exchange. And man, the timing of it is just like so tight. So I'm scheduled to close mm-hmm. on the Down Lake property, the property that I'm selling by Friday or Saturday and then purchase the new property on Tuesday. And I timed that. So I'm well within my 45-day window, but I didn't realize how tight it was actually going to be. So if one, if the sale of mine gets pushed out a little bit, I might have to scale or slide the purchase a day or two, which I'm hoping doesn't happen, but just really trying to line everything up to be as seamless as possible. But I'm excited to get into the short-term rental space. Nice. Exciting. Juggle, juggle, juggle. That's it, man. That's it. Yeah. And timing. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So let's start picking this apart. So a lot of people have referred to real estate investing as passive investing or real estate investing generates passive income. And I'm curious to get your thoughts around how passive you think it truly is. And is it black and white or are there shades of gray here? Yeah. So the way that I would describe it to a friend is you can get to the point where it can be a pretty passive source of income. But realistically, like upfront, there's there's some work to do. Uh, so in cycles of ownership of the property, there are going to be ones that are more busy. So when a property, when you're doing your acquisitions, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna spend a good amount of time evaluating properties, submitting offers, 
uh, managing the transaction stuff, getting finance line, lined up. So um, in that upfront part of the process, definitely not <laughs> an extremely passive process. And even up to the point, if you're buying it vacant and perhaps there's some renovation work that needs to be done, I'm going to poke my nose into that process. Uh, either managing contractors with my property manager or managing them directly. Um, that's not a super passive process. And then going up into the tenanting process where you're working with your property manager to set rent, where they are marketing the property. Um, I mean, I'm at the point now with my property managers where I have a, a, an established relationship where I trust them to, to run with stuff, but getting off the ground, I'm a little bit more hands-on. So uh, the other kind of property life cycle where it's time consuming is some construction thing comes up and I will usually with my property manager set what's called a not to exceed limit uh, and NTE. Am I using that right? I think so. Yeah, Anyways, where the it. cost. Yeah, yeah, let's run with it. If the cost is above a certain dollar, I'll say, hey, I want to know about it. Like this could be a repair or replace decision where I'd at least like to provide some input. You know, I'll you know talk to you, the local property manager um the other high time commitment not passive is it, it repeats again right the tenant moves out goes back into construction so a property can be occupied for a long period of time that is relatively passive and not really doing a lot except for opening the proverbial mailbox and seeing the rent check come in however though there like is a good amount of time that it's not necessarily uh passive so i think it it's a little bit of a misnomer the the passive um, term that is often applied to it, just because, especially in the upfront and some of these major milestones, you can be a little bit more involved. And as you start building your profile, go from one to five to ten to twenty. Um, there, there really can be a lot more involved in it. I mean, I, I enjoy, I enjoy it. I think it's fun, you know. But I, it's definitely because <laughs> you're no sick means. in the head like me. Because <laughs> I'm sick in the head. The other time where it's not so passive. I'm sorry, Michael. That I'm stealing just all the fodder. I'm just. A lot of gas. Actually, <laughs> yeah. you know? I should never have given you my notes before the show. You shouldn't. You, you should have spoke first all the points and then said, "All right, Tom, anything else?" <laughs> the, uh, the other pretty time-consuming event is tax time, and I think I've complained about this before. On where you're, you're collecting all these different documents and passing them on to your CPA. You're collecting your 1099 from your property manager, your 1098 from your mortgage if you have a mortgage, um, and all these other documents. So. That can be a little bit time consuming, but you know where I'm at right now, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time in that I have a, a portfolio that's been humming along for a while. So, and I'm not necessarily doing acquisitions. I'm doing land up development on my own personal primary. So, um, <laughs> all right, Michael, I'll stop stealing all the points uh, that we talked about before the episode. So uh, <laughs> go ahead, Michael. Talk about <laughs> oh, that was great. You covered everything. Episode done. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, just real quick plug. Something that you mentioned around tax time is if someone is using Stessa, they'll likely have a much easier time come tax time because so many of those documents can be housed there and then sent directly over to their CPAs. But I think you nailed it. I think that's definitely a misnomer calling it passive income for all the reasons you mentioned. And I'll just kind of share an anecdote uh, from when I started investing because I think it's, it's a very common way that people get started investing. So I started buying very turnkey single family homes in Southern California. And so the first one I bought was, was a relatively new build. It was a couple of years old and uh, was turnkey ready for a tenant. So we got a tenant in place. And then I was freaking out until we actually got that tenant in place, which took about a month. 
just because of the timing that I, of when I bought the property. And so once we got a tenant in place, I was very hands-on on the property manager trying to keep tabs on everything that was going on because I didn't know any better. After a couple months of that, it was very, it, for all intents and purposes, it was very passive. I mean, the property didn't need any work. The tenant was placed and it was just one single property. So there wasn't a whole lot for me to actually do. Now I would keep tabs on what the property manager would send over her reports every month and see, okay, what were the expenses and plug that into my spreadsheet and see how close was I in guesstimating what my pro forma was going to be. So I'd spend 20 minutes a month just checking up on things, reviewing the reports. Then I added a second property to the mix and that was new construction, brand new build. So very similarly, there just wasn't a whole lot of stuff going on with that. And so there was the same property manager in the same market. So now I just had two properties on that monthly report as opposed to one. So, okay, I spent 25 minutes reviewing that once a month. Then I added a third property and that was my first out-of-state investment. And so that was a couple of duplexes. And very similarly, it was fairly turnkey, fairly new builds, about 10 years old. And so already tenants in place, there just wasn't a whole lot for me to do in terms of being an active manager or managing the manager, so to speak. Because I had property managers for all of these. And that was kind of the case for a lot of my investing. And so the more turnkey I think you buy, oftentimes the easier it is from the ownership and operational side of things. And there's really not a whole lot to do so to speak, other than make sure things aren't going off the rails. It wasn't until I started getting really heavily invested in value-add projects that I was having to manage a lot of what you were mentioning with your, with your shed is managing contractors, keeping tabs of, okay, who's doing what and when, and keeping tabs on your property managers because they're much more involved with that process on a day-to-day basis than I am. But getting update reports, checking in, seeing what happened, uh, what work scheduled, and, and make sure things are actually getting done and then following up and seeing what, what things are renting for, or how soon are they getting rented, this kind of a thing. So because that's been my life up to my eyeballs for the last three, four, five years, uh, it's just been a lot. I've been much busier in that capacity. But now that things are starting to slow down from a project standpoint, it's definitely becoming more passive. Yeah. And I, I have a fourplex that I've talked about on previous episodes and took that down to the studs, total, I mean, brand new build, essentially. And that is very much humming along because there's not a whole lot that occurs on that property, knock on wood. So I talked to my manager about getting it pre-leased and pre-marketed and what the rent should be and how we're going to push rents and this kind of a thing. But that's only when the leases come due. So four times a year for that for those four units. So from that perspective, it can be very, very passive. It's just a great kind of a great point in that. I think you're, there always is going to be some time constraints kind of based where, you know, where the property is. But there is a little bit of a menu of how much, how uh, not passive or, you know, by the type of property, the, the condition of the property. Um, so depending yeah. on, you know, what type of investment that you're looking for, you know, for me, looking for a property, you know, maybe turnkey, maybe some light work that needs to be done. But ultimately, you know, a, a minimal time investment beyond those major Kind of events, you know, acquisitions, turns, what that um, versus you, where I have an appetite for a little bit more stuff and <laughs> up to your eyeballs uh, at, at, at points and times. But I mean, like life, there's, you know, there's ebbs and flows of. I was going to say, I thought I had an appetite for it until I threw up, but that's a n- neither here nor there. <laughs> I think uh, Michael Zuber says it really well, too. He talks about regularly and in his book, he talks about taking on all these value add projects. And in hindsight, he wished he just would have bought more turnkey. And so, like you mentioned, you could really dial it up or down how much time and involvement you want to have. 
but you'll either pay for it or receive a discount. And so I think a lot of people end up buying uh, properties on the cheaper end of the spectrum in, in given markets that probably do need work, but expect it to have the same time requirement as a turnkey property. And I just think that's a very big misalignment of expectations. So you really need to understand what does this type of property, what does this class of property uh, look like in terms of my time requirement, in terms of capital requirement? Because I think people often knock turnkey investments. Oh, all the equity has already been sucked out. Yeah, but if someone doesn't have the time to go manage it or deal with the headaches or deal with the, the projects that are needed, like I think that can be a really great avenue for people. And so that's, I think, one of the beauties of real estate is you have this broad spectrum. And depending on who you are and where you're looking to go, there's likely something for you. Yeah. And the other you know, thing about these you know, massive project properties, kind of against people who say, oh, you know, all the value has already been sucked out for these properties that are already in good shape. The concept of beta, where in taking on a project that has a, a, a property that has a big project, uh, sometimes those costs can go over like and you can you know end up buying this property that you're thinking you're you're going to squeeze out some extra value but instead you're actually just squeezing a bunch of extra work and then your costs are going over i mean it's really easy to look at these projects with some pink rosy glasses um and and thinking that you're getting some extra value but where when in fact you're like just doing more work and oh materials costs are up oh your contractor's timing so it's vacant for longer like um I mean, I don't think that's really the purpose of this episode to like to expunge upon or uh, talk about the value of some slightly more turnkey properties, but but that's where it ended up. That's where it ended up. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I I, case in point, like Exhibit A, myself that four that fourplex I was talking about. As we got into the property, started taking off the sheetrock. My contractor called me. He goes, "Look, Michael, the the electrical and plumbing is all done very poorly." So this needs all new electrical and all new plumbing throughout. That wasn't in the scope of the project. So that's $40,000 that was not accounted for like that. And you pay for it now, pay for it later kind of a thing. So um, absolutely. I think big risk, big reward potential, but also big risk for things to go sideways and and get overhead, get over your head and over your skis fairly quickly. And less passive. Back to the original topic. (laughs) Back to the original topic. So now kind of getting, getting, through some of the other asset classes, I'm fortunate enough to own uh, a couple double net and triple net leased properties. And if anyone doesn't know what that is, I highly encourage you to go check it out. You can Google it. It's uh, abbreviated NN to uh, capital or NNN for double net and triple net lease, respectively. That is about as passive as you can get, in my opinion, uh, with still being a direct owner. Now you can go invest in syndications or funds or uh, crowdfunding and any of that kind of stuff, which is truly passive. I mean, it's like stock market investing. You set it and forget it type of a thing. You're not a uh, decision maker. You don't get to decide when things are done, i.e. being a decision maker. Uh, But double net, triple net lease properties often come with very, very little landlord obligations or responsibilities, if any. And so that, in my opinion, is, is another definition of mailbox money. And if somebody is interested, again, highly recommend going and check Checks it out online about those. And those leases are almost always, you know, commercial or kind of retail shop, right? Exactly. Yeah. The CVSs, the Walgreens, the McDonald's, the Carl's Juniors, a lot of these companies will use utilize triple net leases and not actually own the property. And so it's it's definitely a different beast, different asset class unto itself, uh, but still within the, the real estate space. Future episode, throw it on the queue. 
let's do it. Let's do it. And I hopefully you can't hear the dog snoring next to me. Yeah, calming. It's calming. Oh, good. Ah, yeah. Soothing. Um, awesome. Tom, well, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, nope. I think that's pretty good. I think we got it. Awesome. So <laughs> takeaways, do your homework on the front end, do the legwork, get the train moving so that way it's easier on the back end. All right, everybody. That was our episode. Thanks, Tom. Always a pleasure to riff on these with you. If you liked the episode, feel free to leave us a rating or review wherever it is you listen to your podcast. We look forward to seeing you on the next one. Happy investing. Happy investing. Thank you.